So if you're new with us, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're in actually part four of our Transform series. And can anybody tell me what verse this series is based on? Romans 12, 2, that is it. And so what we've been trying to do over the past few weeks is memorize this as a church family. So we're going to test our memory, kind of like a pop quiz. And don't we all like pop quizzes? Yeah, not really. Okay, so what's going to happen is this verse is going to come up on the screens, and we've got two key phrases that are taken out. And what we're going to do is we're just going to quote this together. And when we get to that spot, if you've been memorizing this, then you just fill in those blanks. If you haven't been memorizing this, you just kind of sing along with that song that you kind of know but don't really know and just <laughs> kind of hum as we go through that part, all right? So it's all going to be great for all of us. So here we go. On a count of three, one, two, three. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you great into a new person by changing the way you think. Great job. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Way to go, everybody. Good job. So I encourage you to keep working on memorizing that. Uh Oh, Debbie pulled it up on her phone. She like, is that cheating in class? Not good. Stay after class. Talk to the teacher. Uh, Is it on there? Did you look on the paper too? Oh man. All right. So it's in front of you. You're learning. That's great. So keep learning. even if you have to cheat sometimes. So we're trying to memorize this stuff so that we can use it in moments where maybe we don't have scripture with us and we're navigating the complexities of life and we get to a spot where, man, what is that verse again? We can draw that from our memory and use it in those moments. Now, this verse tells us that God wants to transform our lives and he starts where? In our minds. So the first place that God starts in our minds. And the reason he does, because when God can transform our minds, he can transform every other part of our lives. And God doesn't just want to change us. He wants to transform us into new people so we can live more like Jesus. So in this series, we've talked about God transforming our minds. We've talked about God transforming our relationships. Last week, we talked about God transforming what? Hope. Yes, we talked about God transforming our hope. And we had at least 10 people put their hope in Jesus for the first time in their lives last week. So amazing uh, Sunday. It was an amazing thing to be a part of and watch. And and just so you know, I kind of keep track of that over the past eight and a half years in life of our church. So that makes at least 457 people who've put their faith and trust in Jesus through what God is doing in our church. That is awesome. So let me tell you why that's awesome. That's 457 people who've been rescued from a real place called hell and saved for a real place called heaven. That's exciting. That's worth being involved in. That's something that we should center our lives on, helping people be transformed by Jesus. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church family that cares about that. So... Today, before we transition into what we're going to talk about, let me take you again back to last week, something else that we looked at. Anybody remember the crazy hiking story I talked about last week? Okay, so I almost led a group of my friends to their death, my death as well. Um, And I found a picture from 18 years ago that I wanted to show you. So take a look at this picture. See if you recognize anybody in the picture. Who do you recognize? 
Tim is there. So the guy that did the announcements today, if you don't know him, he is our executive pastor and he was with me 18 years ago when I almost led all of us, this group, to our death. I'm not in the picture because I'm taking the picture. Back then, you know, the selfie thing wasn't as easy. So I'm taking the picture and this picture is after the experience. I have another picture. I haven't found it. Um, But the first picture is all the guys like tough. We're going on adventure. This is going to be great. And this picture captures, if you look in their eyes, they're saying, why did I follow Trent? That was the worst decision ever. I'll probably never follow his lead in anything ever again. And yet apparently Tim was naive or forgot about that or something because he came and he's now working with us. He's been working with us for eight years. So I'm grateful that Tim forgot about that day. Now, if you didn't hear about that and you're interested, go back to our message last week. You can check it out and you can kind of laugh and wonder about my wisdom at times. Now, today, we're going to talk about transforming one of the scariest things in our lives to transform. And if you're a note taker, I encourage you to take notes. So we've got our spiritual growth challenge uh, on your seats. There should be pins there as well. That will help you uh, in your personal study as you look back at what we're talking about today. It'll also help those of you who are connected in one of our transformed groups. So if you're in one of our transformed groups, take notes. And then as you go into your group experience today, then you'll be able to talk about what we're uh, learning today. So are you ready for this Halloween scary kind of thing that we're going to talk about? Okay, one guy is. So we're going to talk about God transforming our commitments. Ooh, isn't that just, you know, if you have hair, doesn't it just make, you know, the hair in the back of your neck stand up? Like, ooh, it's kind of scary. And, and here's why I think that's a scary thing for us. Because many of us, myself included, have commitment phobias, We've got some real fears when it comes to making commitments. And here's sometimes how my mind processes with that. I think, you know, if I commit to something and then something better comes along, I'm kind of stuck. And I don't like being stuck. So I like to leave my options open. So if I just don't commit to that thing, then I'll be able to do some, some other things. Now, sometimes we also have fears of failure, So we're afraid to commit because of failing. And we think, well, I don't want to commit to that thing because if I commit to that thing and then I fail at it and people will know, that'll be embarrassing. So I'm just not going to commit because I don't want to fail at something. Or other times we remember the past and we go, you know what? I remember that time. I committed to that thing and it didn't go real well. I committed to that person, I committed to that job, I committed to that activity, whatever. It didn't go well. And so we look back and go, that hurt. I don't want that experience to happen again. So I'm going to withhold my commitment. We see people do that all the time in relationships. I got hurt in a relationship one time. So I'm kind of in a new relationship, but not fully. I don't want to fully be in that relationship because if I go fully in, I'll be hurt. And so there's all kinds of reasons why we have commitment fears. Now, opposite of this word commitment that we kind of struggle with and shy away from is another word that we love and we run to. And it's a word signified by this picture. So when you see that picture, what word comes to your mind besides Trent or Braveheart? Freedom! We love that word. We love freedom. And here's what we think. If I don't 
fully commit to something or someone, then I'll have freedom. I'll be able to do what I want, say what I want, eat what I want, wear what I want. I'll be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. So my lack of commitment will bring me freedom. But God offers a different perspective. From God's perspective, commitment makers experience a kind of freedom and transformation that commitment avoiders never experience. Let me say that again. From God's perspective, commitment makers experience a kind of freedom that commitment avoiders never fully experience. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says this, and he's speaking to those who are his followers. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, Jesus is speaking directly to you. He says, you truly are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Another way to say that is if you commit to follow me, do what I've asked you to do. Does it mean you have to be perfect at it? No, we're not perfect. But Jesus says, like, you really are my disciples if you do what I ask you to do, if you live the way I ask you to live. And then he says in verse 32, he says, then if you do that, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So from God's perspective, there's a true freedom and there's a real transformation that can happen in our lives and it happens through our commitments to him and following him in his ways. So here's why God wants to transform our commitments because our commitments can transform us. So we're gonna look at a commitment story in the Bible about a guy who made a commitment and that commitment really transformed his life. And it's a story found in the Old Testament part of the Bible. So we're reaching back about 850 years before the life of Jesus in the book of 1 Kings. So if you have a Bible and you wanna flip over there, feel free to do that. Otherwise, the verses will come up on the screens. But this is a story about two prophets. The prophet, of, uh, a prophet named Elijah and Elisha. And often we get those prophets mixed up because their names are so similar. But these two prophets were prophets of the nation of Israel. And prophet Elijah was a prophet that God used in a very powerful moment to defeat 450 prophets of a God named Baal. It was a, an amazing encounter that he had. It happened on Mount Carmel in Israel. And I've had the privilege of standing on that mountain. It's an amazing experience. A number of others of us here at our church family were able to be there as well. And it was a really neat moment to kind of see where that happened. Well, God came along to Elijah and said, your time as a prophet is coming to an end. So what I want you to do is I want you to go find Elisha and I want you to pass the baton to him. Ask him to be your assistant, invite him to come follow you and then I'm gonna transition from you as prophet to him as prophet. So this story is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll start in verse 19. It says, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. 
So let's unpack this strange little story for a minute. So we've got Elijah going to see Elisha, and he's walking uh, down this field. He walks through this field. He sees all these oxen. He walks past 11 pair of oxen. He finds Elisha with the 12th pair. What that means for Elisha in that day is that he comes from a very wealthy family. So he has a lot of wealth, a lot of opportunities, a lot of freedom, a lot of options. He has more options than most people in his day and age have. And I wonder if as Elijah is walking past all these oxen, I wonder if what's going through his mind is, is this really the guy that God wants to follow me and be a penniless prophet for the nation of Israel? Really? Is he going to leave all this to come do what God is asking him to do? And we have no indication in scripture that Elijah was thinking that, but I wonder if he was, and I wonder if I in that moment would have thought that because sometimes an obstacle that keeps us from making commitments to God is our stuff. Sometimes the stuff that we have keeps us from making a full-on commitment to follow God. So we're not sure if that's what was going on for Elijah or Elisha in that moment. But Elijah walks past and he sees Elisha. He takes his cloak. So you think about his coat, takes his coat and he throws his coat over Elisha's shoulders and turns around and walks away. So let's just say you're at work tomorrow. Somebody walks up, throws their coat over your shoulder, walks away. What are you doing? I'm going, get that off of me. Where's that? Where'd that come from? Like, oh, that's weird. What are you doing? But for Elisha, he knows exactly what Elijah's doing. He knows Elijah. And he knows this is a baton being passed. So Elijah comes up, hands him the baton, turns around and walks away. And Elisha goes, Whoa, wow, this is a big moment. First, let me go home and say goodbye to my parents, kiss them, and then I'll come follow you. And Elijah says, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So basically, he says to Elisha, you need to go home and, and really consider what all of this means. Really consider what it means to be a prophet of God and to follow me, because it's really going to be difficult. It's very similar to what Jesus says to his followers in Luke chapter 14. He says, before you follow me, you need to count the costs. Don't just jump in and follow me quickly and like, yeah, I'm going to follow you. And then it gets difficult and you go, oh, I don't want to follow you that far or that close or, or, or go to those lengths. I just want to follow you when things are going great. Jesus says you need to consider the costs, really count the costs and, and measure. Are you really going to follow? Are you going to be all in or just partially in? So Elijah says the same thing to Elisha. Elijah did a really cool thing. He just allows Elisha the space that he needs to make this decision. He doesn't manipulate him. He doesn't guilt him. He doesn't try to sugarcoat what's going to happen being a prophet. He says, you really need to go home and consider. So Elisha goes home and he considers. He kisses his mom and dad goodbye and he knows what he's walking away from. And he decides to become the next prophet of Israel. Now, before going off to prophet school, he does two more things that are very important. Verse 21 says this. It says, so Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. Kind of a bad day for the oxen, don't you think? He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So what he does is he confirms his commitment he confirms it by killing the oxen and burning the plow. 
And he's saying to himself and everybody else, I'm not coming back. Like I'm making it public. I'm making this a big commitment and I'm burning the plow. I'm killing the oxen. I'm not coming back when it gets difficult, when it gets too hard. I'm not running back home. And it certainly would get difficult for him. Elijah would leave him, would soon leave him alone as the next prophet of Israel. A king would send his army to find him and kill him. He would spend some time trying to hide from this army. Uh, A famine would starve him. A nation would reject him. And then on one bad hair day, a group of uh, punk kids make fun of him because he's bald. Can you imagine anybody ever doing that? Making fun of somebody because they're bald? Like, why would you do that? So on, on this bad day for him, in response, you know, being the, the wise, super spiritual leader of, you know, the nation of Israel who speaks on God's behalf, he gets angry at those kids and he calls two bear out of the wilderness to maul 42 of them. I'm thinking, not a good day in prophet world. You know, you probably like made the wrong decision. But here's the lesson. Bald people have a very close relationship with animals. <laughs> So you should not mess with a bald person. Just saying. Okay, so that's not the lesson. The lesson is following what God wants us to do, making a commitment and following that can be very difficult at times. And so Elijah says, I've burned the plow. I've killed the oxen. I'm not going back when it gets difficult. Another thing that he does is he goes public. So he takes all the meat and he shares it with the townspeople. And the townspeople, I'm sure, are going like, like, what's this all about? Why are you handing me this meat? Well, I've made a commitment. I've decided to become Elijah's assistant. I'm going to be the next prophet. Like, wow, that's a major statement. Now, here's where we struggle. So, like, we go like, man, if I make it public like that, then other people know. And then I'm, like, held accountable for the decision that I've made. And so what many of us do is we, we make private commitments, between just us and God. I don't want to tell anybody else. And nobody else can hold me accountable. I'll just tell God. And then if it doesn't work out so well, I'm not in hot water with anybody else. But Elijah, Elisha doesn't do that. Elisha goes public. And there is a transforming power that can happen in our lives when we go public. When somebody stands up and says, I've killed the oxen, I've burned the plow, I'm not going back. I'm moving forward with this commitment that God is asking me to make. I'm going to make and keep God-honoring commitments. So going public can help us do that. So let me ask, what is God asking you to fully commit to? What's God asking you to fully commit to? Let's think through some categories. Maybe you're in a relationship And you've drifted from your commitment to that relationship. Like, just maybe you're married. And maybe you've drifted from your commitment to your spouse. And on your wedding day, you you made this this declaration. You exchanged vows uh, with each other. And you said, I'm going to fulfill my vows no matter what. And yet you find yourself drifting from that. So maybe God is challenging you today to recommit to the vows that you made. Maybe God's asking you to 
really commit to honoring your parents. Maybe your relationship with your parents isn't all that great. Maybe your relationship with your kids isn't all that great. God's asking you to really love and lead your children. Let me turn this around for a second. Maybe you're in a relationship that doesn't honor God. And maybe the commitment God's asking you to make is to commit to get out of that relationship. Because that thing isn't honoring God. Or maybe there's this issue in your life that you've been avoiding for a long time and maybe God is saying it's time for you to stand up, to make a commitment, to burn the plow, to deal with this issue, this forgiveness issue, this bitterness issue, this sin issue, this jealousy issue, whatever issue that you haven't dealt with. Maybe God's saying it's time for you to deal with that issue. Maybe God's asking you to fully commit to him. Maybe you've been partially committed, kind of like, I'm like 50% in, not fully in. Or maybe you've never made a commitment to God before. And maybe God is saying today, today's the day for you. To give me your heart. Let me transform your mind and transform your life in a new relationship with me. If only you know what God might be challenging you to commit to. I encourage you to find out what that is and make a commitment. Now, I want to suggest one thing that all Christ followers, I think, should be committed to. And there's a number of things that we all need to make commitments to, but for, for Christ followers, I think there's one thing that all of us should be committed to. And that is what God is doing through a local church. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16. Verse 18, he said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So I think it's safe to say from that verse that building the church is God's number one priority in life. It's his number one plan for transforming lives that transform communities, that transform nations, that can transform the world. And I think as Christ followers, we should share in God's number one priority. We should be active in God's number one priority for transforming the world. So here's what that might look like. For some people, God might be asking you to go into full-time vocational ministry. That's scary. Like, be a church leader, like, be a pastor, like, be a missionary. God doesn't ask everybody to do that, but He does ask some people to do that. And if He's asking you to do that, will you burn the plow? Will you make a commitment like Elisha did? And will you go and fulfill what God is asking you to do? Maybe God's not asking you to do that. Maybe He's asking you to do something else. But I do know that He's asking all of us to be full time ministers. So if you're a follower of Jesus, God wants you to be a full time minister at home, at work, at school, at church, to be active in pointing people to Jesus on a regular basis, be active in building what God is doing through a local church. Now, again, here's where our phobias come into play. You know, sometimes when it comes to committing at church, we're like, oh man, if I, if I commit to that and, and some other activity comes along, I won't be able to do that activity. Or like, I'm afraid that if I commit to, to what God is doing through a church, maybe I, I won't do it real well. Maybe I don't know enough about the Bible. Maybe I'll fail at it. Like I, that will be kind of embarrassing. That's difficult. I don't want to do that. Or maybe if I commit to that, God will ask me to be a pastor. 
Yeah, that's scary. That's what kept me from fully committing to God and a local church for a long time. I was afraid God would make me a pastor. Guess what? He did. (laughs) Two things I've never wanted to do, work at a church and be a pastor, and I get to do both. I've done both for 18 years now. And I can honestly say I would rather be in the place that God has called me to be than where I would want to be because it's way more rewarding for all of eternity. And over the past 18 years, I've been able to watch God do what only God can do. And it's been a humbling journey. So God is asking you to do something and be active in some way through a local church. Now, here's what happens when we uh, don't make these kind of commitments to help a local church. Local churches are often weak and ineffective in their mission for transforming their community for Christ. There's a statement that's been rolling around churches for quite a few years, and I want to see how many of you have heard this statement before. It goes like this. In most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Anybody heard of that before? Yeah, so it's not a you know, scientifically proven thing. It's just a statement where, where somebody came up with or says, you know, there's a small portion of people do a whole bunch of work in a local church. And God says, listen, I want to switch that around. I don't want a small portion of people. I want a bunch of people. Imagine what we can do when even more people get active together in a church family. So according to that statistic, sorry, hard word for me, uh, that statistic doesn't apply here. This is really cool, really cool. So in our three services, we have anywhere from 650 to 700 people coming on a regular basis. We have about 240 people serving regularly here through our church family. So that's about 35 to 40%. That is amazing. When I tell my pastor friends about that, they're like, how are you pulling that off? That is crazy. And I'm like, I know it's crazy. I'm not smart enough to do that at all. But God can. And we just extend to people the invitation. We hand out the baton and say, will you join us? Will you help us? So we've got an amazing group of people. We've got a group of people that get up early and come here at 6.30 every Sunday morning to transform this place from a school into a church. And aren't you grateful for them, especially when you're sitting down? Yeah, you're, you're, we're all benefiting from what they have done. All of us do. We've got a team of people that come and transform it after the service. So we'll have, in just a few minutes, a team of people. We'll take all that stuff down, put it back into a school. So, so grateful for those people. I'm grateful for our tech team and all the hard work that they do to enhance our experiences here on Sunday morning, for our worship team and the great job that they do of helping us understand worship and softening our hearts towards messages and understanding that worship happens beyond Sunday morning, beyond music. We've got a great team of community group leaders that lead our transformed groups and our regular community groups, great team that leads our starting point experiences, our business group experience. We've got a team that leads our children's ministry, our student ministry, our connections team. We even have people that come in the office and copy things and cut things so that our children's ministry has supplies that they need on Sunday morning. We've got an amazing group of volunteers around here. So if you're a volunteer and you do anything in our church family, thank you. Let me tell you what I do when I'm not speaking. So occasionally I'm not up here speaking. And if I'm not up here, most likely I'm serving somewhere else in our church family. 
And I do that for multiple reasons. One, it gives me fresh eyes on our church and I get to, to see what our church is like from a different perspective and I love that. And I get to serve with some of our amazing volunteers. So I've served in our student ministry, our children's ministry, our, our prep team. Um, it's just awesome to do that. Let me tell you what I was doing two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was serving in our Riptide area. And it was so much fun because it's a very active and energetic environment back there. So that's our first through fifth grade ministry. And they draw kids in with the games. They've got some great games that they're playing and it draws kids in, new kids in like, oh, I'm going to stand on the wall. Nope, I got a game. I'm going to play. Pulls them in. They're back there leading worship. And it's fun worship. They're doing motions with it. And I'm in the back going like, I'm punching kids because I don't know the motions and how to do it. But man, it's exciting. And then they've got a large group time and a small group time where the kids can talk about what they've learned Sunday morning. Well, two weeks ago, I'm watching one of our local business leaders do the teach. And here's what I'm, I'm sitting there thinking. So I'm watching this guy and I'm going, he's doing awesome. Not only is he doing awesome in the business world, but he's doing amazing things in the church world. And here's what he could say. I am way too important to invest in first through fifth graders. I'm a business leader in our community. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to prepare a lesson. I don't have time to go back there and teach a lesson. But this guy wasn't saying that. This guy was jumping around during the worship, punching kids in the face just like me because you know he, he was struggling with that too. He was playing games with the kids and then he was teaching the kids through energetic style of teaching so that they can engage God and apply uh, his teachings to their lives. And I was just in awe of what he was doing. I love being in awe of what our volunteers do. And you can be one of them. I'd love for you to be one of them. So you can probably tell what I'm going to ask you to do, right? I'm going to ask you, if you're connected with our church and um, this is your church home, if you haven't found a place to serve yet, I'm going to encourage you to find a place to serve. We've got all of our ministry opportunities available in the lobby as you walk out. I encourage you to kind of spend some time exploring, find a place to get active in this church home. Now, some of you are new to us and you've only been here a few weeks or maybe your first day is today and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know that this is my church home yet. That's great, take some time. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to get active in serving yet. Just spend some time exploring our church family to figure out if this is your church home or not. But if it is your church home, if this is a place you come on a regular basis to be spiritually fed, then I encourage you, pick up the baton. Join us in what God is doing here. Now, some people uh, are afraid to find a place to start because they, they think, like, I don't know where to start. Like, there's a lot of options. Like, where would I begin? Like, I'm not sure where to begin. So let me give you an answer for that. I just say, pick a place of interest to you or a place of need. So if there's a place that kind of seems interesting to you, try that. If there's a place where uh, a ministry leader says, yeah, we got some needs in this area, try that. I hear some of our fears related to that. If I commit to that and I'm not good at it, I'll be stuck. I don't want to be stuck doing something I'm not good at. Well, I'll tell you this. You won't be stuck doing that. Why? Because you aren't good at it. We don't want you stuck in a place you're not good. That's no good for you or the people you serve or God. That's no good. So we want to help you find a place that you are gifted, a place that when you serve there, you go, wow, I'm watching God at work. Now, some of you are probably thinking, man, I would love to, to do more, be more involved in my church family, but I am way too busy to do that. And the reality is, yes, many of us are way too busy. 
And I think what we need to do on a regular basis is evaluate what we're involved in to find out, are we involved in God's number one priority in life? And it's a tough thing to do. I I find myself wrestling with it at times as well because I can easily stack up my plate with too many things and then go, wow, how did all that get on there? And so I think occasionally we just need to look at what our schedules contain, pull some things off, and ask, as Christ followers, if we're a Christ follower, am I active enough in God's number one plan to transform the world? It's his number one priority. So it should be my number one priority as well. Now let me talk to one more group of people before we finish. There just might be some people here today who say, you know what, like this feels a little manipulative. We got a pastor challenging people to be active in his church and that's, that feels like spiritual manipulation. So let me address that for a minute. I think spiritual manipulation is a sin. I never want to manipulate anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. I just want to invite people to be active in what I think God, is God's number one priority in the world. And I think as Christ follows, we should care as much about that as God cares about. Um, I, I came across a, a guy in our community this past year, doesn't go to our church, goes to another church, and he said, hey, what are you teaching over there uh, about serving? And I said, uh, serve? Like, you know, that's your church home, you should get active in serving? And I said, why do you ask that? And he said, well, there was a guy that left your church because he felt guilty. You talk about serving all the time, he felt guilty, and he left, he's looking for a church where he won't feel guilty. And I, I gotta tell you, personally, like, I felt so bad about that. Like, man, we got somebody who left because maybe I didn't do a good enough job of vision casting why we're doing this. And maybe he felt manipulated by me. Man, that just grieves my heart. I don't want anybody feeling that way. So if you feel that way, I just encourage you to find another church where you may not feel that way and get active in that church. We have some great churches in our community. You can go try Palm Coast Community Church. You can try Parkview, Life Coast, uh, Coastal Family Bible Church, Beachside Church. It's meeting at the high school now, Flagler Palm Coast High School. We have some great churches in our community, but here's what I encourage you to do. When you find that place, when you go visit another church, find a spot and then plant and grow and give out of what God has given you. Get active in helping that church reach its full redemptive potential. So I'm going to pray, and then you're going to have an opportunity to go just explore some of the options that we have for you to be active. And if this is your church home, I pray that you'll be active in what God is doing here. So God wants to transform our commitments because our commitments can transform us. So let's pray together. Lord, it's clear in Scripture that building the church is your number one priority in life. And you ask us as your followers to uh, commit to following you in your ways, and that includes your plan for reaching the world. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would have that kind of perception when it comes to our commitments and in our lives. And Lord, there's all kinds of commitments that we need to make, God-honoring commitments. Sometimes we make commitments that don't really honor you, and we need to, to pull those off of our calendar and out of our lives and reprioritize the commitments that we're making. 
We got to make commitments in our relationships, make commitments in, in how we work and how we live. And, and Lord, as well, there, there's a, a commitment that I think you want us to make when it comes to local churches. Because local churches are your number one plan for transforming lives, families, communities, nations, and the world. So Lord, help us find our place. Help us step beyond any fears that we might have and help us find that, that place where we know we've been gifted by you to serve and be active in transforming our community for you. And we pray this today in Jesus' powerful name, amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Have a fantastic Sunday.